Our reading today comes from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, are all of these who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is one for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. May God bless the reading of his word. It's great. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Good to be able to come and, and share some time in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We have one of our missionaries um, come back recently from Africa. Um, he's over in Nigeria or he's been in Nigeria. It's been really rough um, for him over there um, recently. He's had to leave for a bit, um, but he came back and um, reminded us of uh, just something of what I, I think is probably, I don't know, it's, it's been around in many churches for many years, but um, he said certainly where he was in Africa, um, every time he would just say, um, the Lord is risen, everyone would say, he is risen indeed, right? So um, that's the joy uh, that we celebrate this morning, isn't it? I mean, he is risen indeed. I was just sharing with somebody this morning how... Um, well, in many ways, the, the, the world is going mad, isn't it? The world is going mad. We, we look around, uh, just when you think probably couldn't get any worse, it gets worse. And, um, you know, further and further from, from God and from His truth. And, and yet, Aslan is on the move. Amen? C.S. Lewis, Aslan, he's on the move. Don't be, don't be fooled into thinking that all that we see is all that there is, right? Don't be fooled into thinking that's that's all there is because um, the wind blows where it wishes, right? I was good this morning, wasn't it? I wasn't just for the little kids. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. Don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So are all those who are born of the Spirit. And so God's work is is being done among us and we're to rejoice and to be glad um, so it's good. It's been good to, be, to rejoice and, and uh, to be glad with you the, this morning. Um, so my task this morning is to get us just thinking a little bit um, about Pentecost. Um, uh, it's coming up. It's, today's not Pentecost. Pentecost is coming up. I think it's June 5th um, this year. But just to uh, in your series here, post 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 Easter, post death, burial, resurrection, just to think of of something of what we have recorded for us historically um, in the development of the church. So here we are years later, years, centuries, millennia, millennia later, um, involved in the work of Christ, right? So here we are. Same, same deal in a sense, isn't it? Different world. They probably thought the world had gone mad in their day and it, it had. Um, madness is just here. It's, it's, it's life under the sun, as Ecclesiastes says. Um, but, but, but God has come and God is working and, and no, no, no less so among us today. And so we just want to think a little bit about how, how this has happened and the development over through the years. Um, historically, past Pentecost, one of the, one of the, one of the seven great feasts of Israel, isn't it? 
So it, it, Pentecost didn't start in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost took on some amazing significance um, that I think had been had been looked forward to through the years in Acts chapter 2. But Pentecost didn't start in Acts chapter 2. It was one of the seven great feasts of Israel. Leviticus 23 kind of lays out for the nation as they're there on the mountain or before the mountain. And, and, they're, and God, is, God is calling them to be his people in a very special covenantal ways. He's, 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 um, he's making them into a nation, one nation under God. Forget about America. That's kind of their deal, but they're not. This was truly one nation under God. These guys were one nation under God. At least that was God, God meant for it to be. And, and he lays out for them many things, laws and, and, and statutes and ways for them to live and revelation of himself, doesn't he? It's a great, the Old Testament just packed, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament just packed, jammed with amazing truth and revelation from God. But one of the things that he, he does is he lays out for them this kind of, I guess you could say it's like a pattern. It's like a, it's like a breathing. It's like a rhythm for, for life, isn't it? For, for their, for their annual kind of diet of, of, of celebration and remembrance and, and growth and awareness and transformation. And he lays out for them these amazing seven feasts. And, and you can read about them in, Le- in Leviticus 23. The first of which is, the first of which is, this is, this will be the first of months for you, which was Passover. Okay? So you don't just get to sit there and look pretty this morning. Alright? You need to participate. Participate. So the first of which was Passover and then unleavened bread and then first fruits and then what was called the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. It was, it was, it was seven sevens from, from, from the, from the Passover Sabbath. So it was weeks, seven weeks, 50 days. Pentecost, that's 50. Pentecost, 50 days from that celebration is what we're looking at here this morning. And then trumpets in the autumn trumpets and then atonement and then the final feast of Tabernacles, tabernacles, participation, participation. Okay, so these seven great um, feasts. Now listen, every one of these feasts, seven great feasts, rhythm, breathing, reminder. Okay, in, in, in a sense, kind of funny, sevens. I'm not going to get into sevens this morning, but, you know, just, just maybe repetition. Here we are again on the first day of the week. And we do this every, how many days? Every seven days, seven days. Why? Why? Why all this stuff? Why all this? Why does God give us all this stuff? Because we're human. And because we're human, we forget, don't we? We forget. We need to be reminded. All of us. We need to be. We are, so we're all good at just saying to somebody else, aren't we? Well, let me. What? Let me. Especially moms and dads, wag that finger. Let me remind you. Or let me tell you. Let me remind you. Let me remind. And, and I, God, you know, in a very loving, compassionate, caring way, let me remind you. Let me remind, and this is, this is kind of the, his, this is what lies behind what we just read in, in the New Testament, the New Covenant, and, and, and Acts. But, but every one of these celebrations, they're, they're, they're all about, um, they're, they're all about God revealing or, 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 or His people celebrating just something of His incredible provision for them. Fair? Just something of His, His character, His nature, but how He was loving them, how He was providing for them. How he was caring for them. They're all about that. They're all about that. Whether that be in deliverance, Passover, unleavened bread, or cleansing, or sustaining, or protecting, or atoning, or redeeming, whatever. 
whatever. Every feast, every one of those seven feasts was, was very meticulously crafted. They're all different. And they're all saying something different. Meticulously crafted to focus Israel on God's amazing grace for his people. And they did just like us guys. Just like us. They forgot. Didn't they? That we're so good at forgetting. Oh, I forgot. Oh, oh, it's, oh, next week's our anniversary. Oh, I forgot. You know, we forget. We forget. And so God had, 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 had given them this by way of, of reminding them of his great, amazing grace for the year in, year out, year in, year out. They did this. It was the rhythm of their lives along with their, their, their daily, their weekly, their monthly, their, their annual sacrifices. This was the rhythm of their lives, all constituting a framework for them as God's people. You get that? So that's kind of, this. the feasts were all about that. They were all about that for Israel. However, at the same time, and I don't know how many of the Israelites got this. Obviously, by Jesus' time, most of them had forgotten completely about the fact that it wasn't only a remembrance to, to reminding them to be thankful for all that God had given them. At the same time as that, Not only were the feasts an incredible mechanism for remembering and celebrating God's amazing provision for his people. They were also, at the very same time, they were also each in their own right staggering profiles of what was to come. God was speaking prophetically through all of the feasts. They were staggering profile of, I guess what you could say, was God's most amazing grace. So all the feasts were there. You have first fruits, giving thanks for God's provision in food and and deliverance from Egypt and all those things. God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. But they were also there, maybe in a sense more than anything they were there to testify to God's most amazing grace in who? You're getting better. You're learning. God's most amazing grace in Jesus. So they weren't just celebrations of of God's amazing provision. They were also profiles of Jesus. All of these feasts providing just some of the richest when you dig into them. We don't have time to do all that this morning. But when you dig into some of the richest, most intriguing, arresting previews of the work of Christ in his redemptive ministry and his atoning work. And and we've seen some of them unfolding and some of them have yet to come because Christ is yet to return, right? So some of the feasts, some of this rich, some of this rich imagery we've seen already. One of them um, we're looking at this morning, Pentecost. But there's yet more to come in delivering, cleansing, sustaining, protecting, atoning, redeeming. All of that lays before us. Okay, so that's just that's just a little bit of by way of background. All right. So this morning it's Pentecost, not literally, but it's it's what we're looking at for the next few minutes. Sometimes called the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, 50 days um, after the Passover Sabbath. And this was celebrating the, the beginning of the early weeks of, of the wheat harvest. So they're being thankful for God's provision. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us. It's part of what lies behind this. Pentecost, one of the big seven, you could say, of, but it was also one of the big three. There were three of the seven feasts were even more special 
in some way. Because on three of the feasts, all of the men, didn't matter where you lived, you had to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate um, three of of the big seven, um, you could say. And and Pentecost was um, was one of them. You traveled to Jerusalem to worship, to ce- celebrate God's goodness. Um, all the while, all the while, where you were giving thanks for your food and your fruit or whatever, all the while, perhaps for some without even knowing how much of a massive part of God's far greater redemptive story they were a part of. This was Pentecost. This was the feast. And so we pick it up here in Acts chapter 2. All right, and Acts chapter 2 opens up. The Lord has... The Lord has been crucified for her sin, our sin. He has been buried. He's risen again for our justification, Paul tells us. He's now ascended into heaven. And now, lo and behold, we're told, comes Pentecost. Not by accident. <laughs> oh, it's Pentecost. You know, not by accident. God is God, is God isn't he? God is God. God has a timetable. God has plans. God has the greatest mind in the universe, doesn't he? You think you're smart? Think again, right? God has the greatest mind in the universe. And one of the greatest things about the Bible, and I don't think we'll ever plumb the depths of this, but one of the greatest things about doing Bible study or opening your Bible every day or coming to church and and engaging with Scripture is just to immerse yourself more and more and more in the mind of God. Is that not a great thing? Come on, guys, wake up. Right? Immerse yourself in the mind of God because the mind of God is revealed to us at least Something of the mind of God is revealed to us in, in writing, in writing in a book. And you can, you can read it and you can go over it and you can be staggered at how, how, how God thinks. Right? My ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are not like, right? As high as the heavens are above. So just, just you know, just accept that. Swallow that, right? And, and give glory to God. And so here it is. It's Pentecost. And... Um, Jesus has ascended, but before he ascended, we're told in Acts chapter 1, before he ascended, before he went back to his father's right hand, he's coming back. He's coming back. There's more to do, not in an atoning sense, but in wrapping up God's great redemptive plan. There's more to do. So we're in the, you know, we're in the already not yet phase, aren't we? We're here kind of in the already, but not yet. But, 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 but before he ascended, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus had told his disciples, he told them to stay in Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem, he said, and wait there for what the Father had, had promised, which Jesus said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You get better all the time. This is good. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and by golly, that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? We just read about it. You know, we don't have time to, to get my time's probably already up. I don't know. But we don't have time to go through, meticulously go through Acts chapter 2. I'd like to do that because so, so many amazing things happening there. But that's exactly what happened um, as we read it there in Acts chapter 2, where God, you could say, in a very, in a very unique way, literally invades the world, doesn't he? It's not the first time he's invaded the world, is it? I mean, he's touched the world, he's come into the world, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. I mean, God has had his hands all over this thing from the very beginning, hasn't he? He said, this is his thing. It's not our world, and we got people right, it's our planet, and we, you know, it's God's planet. It's going to do with it what he's going to do with it. We're his people. We're his creator. Aren't we? 
We belong to him. There's loads of people walk around you, live around you, are in your family. You work with them and they don't know this. They don't know this. They don't know that um, that they're part of God's great creation, do they? And so we need to tell them that's part of what's happening here. God's preparing these guys for what? What are they going to do? Just sit there for the rest of their lives and, 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 and find a cave to go in and hum? You know, they're, they're going to go out into the world, aren't they? So that's we'll see that just in a minute. There, there's a real challenge here for us. But he's invading. Here he is invading the world. But in, a, in an even more focused sense, he's invading the world. But he's indwelling his people in a way that he has never done before. All right. So we do look back to Pentecost as a time of beginnings. He's he's kind of come upon his people. He's his spirit has worked in his people, but he's doing something here that it doesn't take much scholarly work to, to figure out that something very, very um, unique is happening here. Something very new is happening here. He's indwelling his people with his life changing, transforming power. And he's actually going to continue the work that he began at the cross. He's going to continue that work. That now is going to perpetuate through his body on earth, which is the church, right? Okay, so that's kind of what's happening in a wider sense. Let me just give you, just as we finish up here, um, three quick observations. And we could go on for days. And I know you know I could go on for days. Um, you pray I never will go on for days, but could go on for days here. What's happening in this chapter? What's this? I'd love to talk to you about the gift of languages. I've written a little pamphlet on that. If you want a little more insight into that, it's amazing. There's a lot of controversy about that, but I've I've worked on that through the years. Just grab me after the service. I'll give you my email and I'll send you a copy of that because I'm not going to go into that um, just now. But it was an amazing expression of the wind. In one sense, you could say it was an amazing expression. I think it's far deeper than that. It has to do with judgment on the nation of Israel. Loads of stuff going on here, but an amazing expression of the wind for sure. The wind was there, wasn't it? Spirit was there and incredible. He does this incredible work. But just three quick observations. Number one is that Pentecost is about God inhabiting his people like no other time in the history of the world. Is that fair? Inhabiting his people, inhabiting his people like no other time. Listen, nothing has ever happened like this before, has it? Nothing has ever happened like this before. What an incredible manifestation of the power and the presence of God here. Listen, just like God had promised in the Old Testament. People should have not been massively surprised that when Jesus came and he started talking about a new covenant, it should have started, you should have been a little bit of, hyperlinking. You know, when you click on one of those little blue things and whoop, and it takes you to another window on your computer with hyperlinking. The Bible's got hyperlinks in it. They should have kind of hyperlinked a bit back to certain things. But this is just like God had promised in the Old Testament. In fact, right in the middle was probably Israel's worst hour ever. Probably right in the middle of their worst. Uh, they were probably feeling worse at this point than ever before in their history. Jeremiah 31 God had promised them that if they walked in his ways and obeyed his commands, that he'd bless them and keep them and protect them and defend them, didn't they? That's what he said in Deuteronomy before they went into the land. And yet they didn't do that. They didn't obey God. They abandoned God. They abandoned God. And so God abandons them here, Jeremiah 31, to their enemies. And yet, listen, he abandons them with a promise. Amazing the way God's grace works, isn't it? He abandons them. He has to because they've turned their back. He abandons them with a promise. It's amazing. 
Listen to this. That one day he was going to make a new covenant. They'd broken the old covenant. It was never meant to save them in the first place. But he was going to make a new covenant with them. Incredible. What a gracious God. And listen to what he says he's going to do. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand, led them out of Egypt, because they broke that covenant, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. No, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their Okay, something internal is going to happen. Something in something indwelling is going to happen. Jeremiah said, wait for it. Wait for it. And they had to wait a long time. But it happened. We just read about it. It happened. Something internal is going to happen. Wow. wow. Ezekiel puts it this way. Even more descriptive. Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, here's what this new covenant is going to be all about. He says, I am going to give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. Is that not something? Is that not? That's that's just what we read. It's just happened. Here it is, Acts 2, right before their very eyes, right in the very midst of their hearts. For the first time ever, listen, for the first time ever, humans become temples. First time ever. Never been this way before. Never been this way before. The temple was a, it's a building, wasn't it? It was a building. It's a building. It was a structure. Stone, wood, gold, right? Precious stone. It was a structure. For the first time ever, humans become temple. It's crazy. It's crazy, but it's real. It's real. Exactly what the Bible tells us happens as a result of Jesus' radical, redeeming work. This is a new covenant. New covenant. He plows on with his reconciled mission for the church. First Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now, that's shocking, shocking. You guys don't look shocked, but it's shocking because you've heard this all before. But for them, shocking. What are you talking about? There's the temple. There's the temple. There's the temple. That temple is going to be destroyed. That temple is under a whole bunch of rubble. You know, all of all that stuff is just, you know, buried. Now temples of the Holy Spirit ourselves. Are you kidding me? Absolutely incredible. Just like Jesus said it would be this this baptism with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water. I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just this is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. Utter and complete identification of a forgiven sinner with Jesus' death. That's what baptism is. It's immersing. Complete identification. That's what the word means. The bapt- I'm going to do that with you. I'm going to utterly and completely identify you with me and me with you. So much so that I'm going to get closer to you than anyone could ever get. Right? Some of you, you feel, I'm, I'm from New York. I'm a hugger. So watch it. After the service, if I get too close to you, I'll hug you. Because I'm New York Italian hugger. I love to hug. Right? So hug people. That's that you, you want to get really close to somebody. What do you do? You hug them. But that's not good enough. Because you're still two people. What does God do? He enters into us. Closer than anything could ever be to you. So if ever you think God is far away. Think again. 
He's closer to you as a believer because he's never going to leave you or forsake you, right? You're his temple and he's going to be there. That's his promise. He's not going to leave. Inhabiting people like never before in the history of the world. One commentator says, the storm of God's, he's talking about Acts chapter 2, the storm of God's presence rushes in, but it doesn't destroy. The fire of God's presence descends, but it doesn't consume. How can this be? Because Jesus was destroyed and consumed by God's holy presence at the cross so that God could be present with and take up residence in the temple of his people in grace. Isn't that good? So that's what's happening here. So God continues his unfinished work, um, not of atonement, but um, of the ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians five nineteen in the church. So number one, Pentecost is about God inhabiting his people in a way that's never happened before. Number two, Pentecost, you could say, is all about the beginning of the end. It's all about the beginning of the end. All right. Um, I hope you pick this up as Peter. He he. He's he's everybody's going crazy here because this, you know, people are speaking in different languages that they'd never been able to. They, they didn't study these languages. They didn't speak these languages. But people had come from all over the world for for Pentecost. Jewish people had come all over the world for this feast. One of the big three. And 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 here all of a sudden, here's these people. Not only have they not been trained, they're some of the most uneducated people around at that time. These guys, these fishermen, these these disciples of Jesus, read the Sermon on the Mount. What kind of people is he speaking to? The poor, the spirit, and the, the lame. And, the, and they're, all of a sudden, there they go. They're, they're, they're proclaiming the great things of God in the languages of all these people that had come from all over the world. And so everybody said, what is, you know, it's, what's going on? Can you imagine the scene? And it's, it, it looks like mayhem, but it's not. It looks like chaos, but it's ordered. Right? Some people say, oh, they're drunk. Well, but they're not drunk. Are you kidding me? They're just, they're, they're, they're scholars. They're linguists. <laughs> they're telling the great, amazing things of God in the languages of all these other people. And so Peter stands up and he's going to explain it. And he, here at the beginning of the end, something at the beginning again, he reaches back, he reaches back. Dating Joel is a bit difficult, but potentially reaches back almost a, a millennium, probably some 900 years. Again, to a terrible time in Israel's history. And amazingly, in that terrible time, Peter finds hope in Joel. Did you see this? He finds hope. The Israelites were to find hope in Joel's prophecy. And Joel speaks of a time to come when God's going to step into history again. And he's going to bring justice and he's going to bring judgment to light. And lo and behold, Peter says, here it comes. Here it comes. He tells the people gathered there at Pentecost feast that what they're seeing literally what they're seeing is it's a complete fulfillment and everything that joel says has come to fulfillment because there's certainly some things there that i think are yet to come we're yet to see these things some of the things jesus talked about it is his return but but he what he says is he literally says this is that other times when talking about fulfillment um, the new testament writers would say this is a fulfillment of isaiah's prophecy that you know and maybe it's about jesus birth or something he didn't quite say that he just says this is that literally that's what it is this is that which was spoken of by the prophet joel in the last days whoa and then he goes on he talks about pouring the spirit will be poured out and and then some of the things that that, that, that potentially we don't see have happened that that some being turned into darkness the moon to blood and all this incredible incredible prophecy but he does say this is that in the last days. And Peter says, here we go. Now you're sitting there and you're saying, wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
wait a minute, last days, wait a minute, this is 2022, I think, isn't it? Is that right? This is 2022. It's two millennia, two, over 2,000 years ago. What do you mean the last days? It's a long last, that's a long day, isn't it? Some people say, well, a day, the Lord is 1,000 years, 1,000 years a day. Maybe in some sense, there's, you know, that God looks from above. God sees things sometimes in epochs, in eras. Not like we do necessarily with counting off the calendar. But this is what Peter says. He equates at least something of what's happening here at Pentecost that took place over 2,000 years ago with what he calls the last days. You see that? You have to stop and think. You have to stop and think. And, and, and you could say, well, maybe this is one off. Maybe, you know, he, I, you know, maybe he was just really hopeful or whatever. But no, no, no. He's not the only one. <laughs> he's not the only one. There's a number of places as you work your way through the New Testament where this same kind of idea is is revealed the Paul um, he thought the exact same thing first Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 talking about the example of Israel in the Old Testament he says now these things talking about Israel in the Old Testament these things that happened to them happened as an example they were written for our instruction listen upon whom the ends of the ages have come whoa now that was 2,000 years ago as well Paul wrote Upon whom the ends of the ages, somehow in God's big, long, sweeping story of redemptive history, we're in a very, very significant part of that right now. We're in a very, we should be getting excited, guys. Can you do that? Can you look excited for a minute? Can you look excited? We should be getting, seriously, I'm not joking. We should be getting excited. We're a part of a time. Now, there's been... There's been generations of people that have been part of that time, but they should have been excited as well because God's identifying that, you know what? He's got a plan and there's an end to that plan. It's not going to go on like this forever. Like Peter says, people just think, oh no, it's just going to keep going, you know, millions of, no, it's not going to, God's got a timetable and we're in a, we're, 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 we're nearing the end. Last days, long last, long days, right? Here we come into summer again. We get, we're loving the long days. These are really long days, but last days. Paul says that. Writer of Hebrews says that. Hebrews 1, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. Hebrews 9, 26, again he says that. Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages. Wait a minute, that was 2,000 years ago. But he still calls it the end of the ages. Peter goes on in his final letter, 1 Peter 1, 20, telling us Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, the lamb without defect or blemish, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. I wonder if he thought back when he wrote that to what he said on Pentecost. Right? Because he's talking about the same thing. The exact same thing. Um, Every one of these New Testament writers recognizes something massively significant about this period of time we're living in. Don't they? They recognize that. And particularly how, how, how the first coming of Jesus, and maybe even especially right here at Pentecost, this moment... At the first coming of Jesus, when God's Spirit was poured out and, and people became temples, marking something of the beginning of that end. And so we're in the, we're in the, we're in the last days, folks. You could, say, you could say we might be in the latter part. Of course, every day we live, we're closer to the end. But you could say that that's how God is working, marking the beginning of the end. And all I'll say here, just pointing that out. All I'll say here, folks, as way of application is the clock is ticking. Are you aware of that? The clock is ticking. And I know some of you are just thinking, I know it is. And you're running overtime, Sutton. You should have been finished 10 minutes ago. 
I'm not talking about that clock. I'm talking about God's clock is ticking for all of us. And if you're still here and you're still breathing, you've got something to do for the Lord. And it might be praying a prayer. It might be engaging in a conversation, whatever. We've all got something to do. God's clock is ticking. So that brings me to my final point, Pentecost. God inhabiting his people, beginning to the end, but it demands a serious response, doesn't it? Pentecost demands a serious response. It is serious business that demands a serious response. Okay? And so we read it. Again, you read what they heard Peter's sermon and he went back and talked about how Jesus had risen from the dead. He wasn't like David. David wasn't talking about himself when he talked about not, you know, undergoing decay, but or being kept in the tomb. That was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then he launches in verse 22 into the fact you crucified your Messiah. And some of them got it. Some of the penny dropped, didn't it? And, And what did they say? Oh, my goodness. That's not exactly what they they just, you know, brethren, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Demands a response. When people hear about Jesus, when they know about his redeeming work, when they know that the clock is ticking. If you're here and you're a follower of Christ this morning, response. What are you going to do? If you're here this morning and this is the first time you've heard this stuff and you're thinking, whoa, this is Jesus died for my sin. Took my punishment. Is offering me eternal life. Response. You need to make a response. Regardless. What are we going to do? Repent. Be baptized. Associate with Jesus. Be his. Right? For the forgiveness of your sins. He says. And you will receive. You will receive. Right? These people have just received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you, now, he's, now, now, he's, now he's being the evangelist. What are we going to do? Because they crucified their Messiah. What are we going to do? Repent. Associate yourself with Jesus. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's Pentecost. That's Pentecost. Peter would say later on in Acts 4, 12, he said, For there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. So I'll leave you with that. I'll leave you with that. Let me just pray. And I think we have one more song. Sorry for going over, but you expected that. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. I want to thank you this morning for Christ's sacrifice, for the next stage in the fulfilling of the, 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 the program, of the, the prophetic program of the feasts, and how at Pentecost you, um, you created this amazing thing that we call the church, the body of Christ. And the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Help us now through that power to, to, to take the action you want us to take. And to go to a lost world with a saving message. In Jesus name. Amen.